listening to Her Body on Body.io FM, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance with your host, Alex Navarro. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body IOFM. I am your host, Alex Golodriga, and we have a very special guest on the show, someone who has joined me on the show at least once before, but I feel like maybe even twice. Marcy Nevin, welcome to the show. Hello. Or welcome back, I should say. Yes, welcome back. So I think you and I have done one episode together, mm-hmm. just the two of us. That was ooh, ooh, three like, or four years ago. Yeah, so. It's been a while. You had just met your boyfriend. I remember that. And before that podcast, it was when we were doing the Dangerously Hardcore episodes. You're right. Wow. That was like yeah. forever yeah. ago. With but That wasn't just the two of us. It was more a group thing. But Correct. yeah. So we've known each other for a long time. We have. It's the fitness uh, space is small, but not small. It's small in the Bay Area, I feel like. And we're both local to the San Francisco Bay Area. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we've both been in this fitness space doing a variety of things, I feel like, over the years since we first met. And it's been so fun to watch you evolve into a coach and the different conversations that you're having, which I think is part of what prompted us to want to record this episode. It sure is. Yeah. It's so interesting to see colleagues in, especially ones who you met so long ago in just the variety of ways that someone can be a coach, you know, whether it's an in-person coach and we're working on form and technique, or you're working with a nutrition coach on losing body fat or getting healthy. But it's amazing if anybody's been a coach or a trainer, you know that there's so much more involved in coaching somebody than eat this, move like that. Absolutely. And I think when you and I first met, all of this stuff that we are going to discuss wasn't really on people's radar and, or it it wasn't being talked about. It was still, you know, fitness, nutrition, that is everything. And if you aren't able to stick to the plan, be disciplined, there's something wrong with you and you just need to try harder. Like you are a failure as a human being. And that is where I started when I was coaching with people because I had, this very disciplined mindset from the beginning. So staying on track was never challenging for me. So when I went to coach other people, I would always get so frustrated and say, how hard is it to follow a meal plan? How hard is it to show up and do the workouts? Mm -hmm. And now I know there is so much more that goes into it. Many people, most people have a lot going on under the surface Mm -hmm. that inhibits them from showing up for themselves. Yep. And showing up not just only in that area of their life, but so many other areas of their life. And this is just an area that tends to be obvious once somebody does attempt to follow a plan or attempt to reach a a fitness goal. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing to look under the surface, which again is a new conversation, it's hard as a coach to know where to start to have that conversation with somebody. So I think having us be able to talk about our own experiences and what we've noticed in ourselves and how 
we show up for ourselves and therefore our clients, it helps us just be able to start that conversation with them. Like, Hey, are you willing to look here? Because this is, there's more to this process than just eat this and do that. Yes, absolutely. And doing this work, uh, I've probably been doing it now for two and a half, maybe three years. Mm -hmm. The really deep inner work I was doing, you know, what I would call surface level self-development before that, but really diving in to my limiting beliefs, why self-sabotage, childhood trauma, you know, that kind of stuff, which it's, it's deep and it can get ugly and uncomfortable. But, you know, once I started doing that, it was really helping me, but I still didn't know really how to have the conversation with other people. And because I am not a licensed psychologist or therapist, you know, that is definitely not my background. I didn't go to school for it. It's not my career. I almost felt I guess uncomfortable trying to bring up that really deep stuff and worrying that people would not respond well, like, well, you know, that's not your specialty. So why are you going to be talking about such deep topics with me? Like, how do you, who are you to do that work? Um, but the more I bring it up, because now I can't not bring it up. I don't feel great. I don't feel in my integrity if I take on a client or even talk to a client on a sales call or an enrollment call. I don't feel in my integrity without having that conversation first and at least scratching the surface. And it's amazing because there is still that voice inside of me, you know, that ego side coming out and saying, who are you to be doing this, Marcy? This person is going to respond unfavorably, hang up on you, get defensive, because who really wants to go there? Nobody. But, <laughs> right? It's amazing. I don't think I've had one person since I have transitioned my sales process or my business to include the, these type of conversations who have not responded in a favorable way, almost like saying, Thank you so much for bringing this to the surface. Mm-hmm. I 100% which I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, too, shared that same fear or limiting belief that I, you know, this isn't my area of expertise. This might not be why this person is contacting me to begin with. So for them, it might seem like it's coming out of left field or not work that they're ready to do yet, which mm-hmm. is fine. Also, if we're not ready to do it, at least they, at least we both know that and can acknowledge it and decide, you know, maybe we'll wait or maybe I'm not the right coach for you. If that's not the type of work you're willing to do or ready to do yet, because for me, I feel like it's an integral part of the process at this point. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's interesting because I think that everybody struggles with what we are going to be talking about, but it affects them in different ways. So because you and I are fitness nutrition coaches, you know, maybe we are getting people who come to us who have these limiting beliefs or have issues surrounding emotional eating because of how they were raised and they're using food as a form of escape or comfort or, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. Um, but I also think that there are clients who have these issues and it does not show up in how they 
can go about like adhering to a fitness or a nutrition program. So I have clients who I'm sure have these struggles, but they can still do the work. You know, it doesn't show up in that way. But whenever I see somebody who is really self-sabotaging and has a hard time with consistency and sticking to the program, that is usually when I will dive deeper. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. What's really going on? Where is this coming from? Right, right. And that's that process can be a long one, depending on mm-hmm. how aware the person is. Some people aren't at all. I've, I've definitely had those moments when clients where it's, it's taken us weeks to do a little bit of digging and all of a sudden we might have an aha moment of like, wow, that that's the thing. I never mm-hmm. would have thought to look there before. And it, and because so, like you said earlier, because so much of it is related to childhood trauma or incidents that happened, it's so long ago for most of these people that they wouldn't think to look that far back. We always look in the more recent years, like the last 10 years, like what could have happened, but so much of it stems from like five, you know, around five, I feel like. Exactly. <laughs> Between like five so, and 10. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I know that's where a lot of this stuff came up for or started with me and like Nicole, the holistic psychologist who I'm sure we will be talking about (laughs) even more as we get further into this, but she always talks about the subconscious and how our subconscious really is created before the age of seven. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of memories from, you know, before the age of seven. So it can be difficult to really put the pieces together and figure out, okay, this is where that's coming from. Now it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And it might not be like one specific event. It could be a statement that was made often enough over a period of time to where that started to become part of your story, part of who you're related to. Uh, to yourself as a person and then how that developed over time you can continue to reinforce your own story um i actually have a post that i've prepared that's talking a little bit about that in my of myself um and something that i'm going to touch on a little bit on today of uh, a more real more recent realization for myself of like oh that makes a lot of sense yeah <laughs> that i've looked there sure for sure and you know i was working with a mindset coach for probably about six months more recently. And he would always talk to me about my life identifiable moments. And a lot of the coaching that we did, especially in the beginning was trying to figure out what that was. And I'll be honest, like it got to the point where I was getting a little bit frustrated and I was ready to move on from that Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to keep reliving the trauma and the memories, even though I know getting to the root of that and figuring it out is very important. But I'll be honest, I still don't know what my one life identifiable moment is. Like Mm -hmm. that first time where I felt like I was not good enough. I wasn't worthy. I was, you know, disconnected from other people. I just remember it really like as a feeling more than anything, more so than something that somebody said to me. I mean, stuff happened along the way like that you said confirmed it Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like when we start to have this belief system about ourselves, a part of our brain which is called the reticular activating system it basically scans our environment to confirm how we feel Mm -hmm. so rather than seeking out situations that 
is going to give us evidence of um, of how that isn't true. Like, let's say I don't believe I am beautiful. So rather than looking for people who or comments of people who say, oh, you're so beautiful, you know, whatever it may be, I am going to search out the ones like the negative ones where people judge my appearance. People make comments that are mean or triggering and confirm how I already feel. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many people stay stuck is because our brain is just like living in that state. And you really have to do the work to overcome that, rewrite the story and repattern those neural pathways in your brain, which are basically just like cemented in there after <laughs> so many years, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard. It takes just like changing your body takes patience and consistency, mm-hmm. changing your brain. I think more than anything takes patience and consistency. Yes. But well, you know, more work you can do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, and then, going having started and going through the process and knowing that it's it's going to be a practice everything is a practice we're never going to be there's no end to it just like fitness there's no end to fitness it's not like you get to your goal you did all the things to get there and then the game's over exactly and i think uh, i mean yes i agree with that but it's also like you're going to have setbacks along the way too, right? The process, it's not linear and you are going to get triggered. Something is going to come up and it's almost like right when you think, Oh yeah, I've got this. Uh, you know, you start feeling really confident. You're noticing the shifts and the changes. You're feeling better. Something happens that kind of, I don't want to say knocks you back to baseline, but yeah, pretty hard. Exactly. And it can, that can feel a little bit threatening and um, I hate to use the word demoralizing, but it's like, Oh, you know, I, I've done all this work and now here I am like slipping into these old patterns and behaviors again. Like, why can't I do this? But it's, it's a process. It's a practice, like you said, and you just have to keep going. Yep. Well, and I feel like it's part of the process. So acknowledging that it's going to happen again, not necessarily that you have to anticipate it happening again, but know that even when you do reach that, like everything's good. I'm like living my, my truest, my most authentic self. I'm showing up every day. You know, you're not anticipating being knocked over, but know that it probably will help happen at some, to some point. And it might look a variety of ways, whether it's like, oh, it's just a stumble or like I'm completely knocked down on the ground. Um, but knowing that that's a possibility and that you can get through it can also give you a little bit more confidence in being able to manage that when it comes or at least Absolutely. have the tools in place to know, okay, this is what's happening. I've done this before, whether it's a similar topic or reason or not. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe this is a good time for you to share something that you've been going through recently or really over the past couple of years, because I remember you and I had a conversation when I first reached out to you about doing this podcast because I had noticed the type of accounts that you were following, some of the comments that you were making. And I was like, oh, like Alex is doing the work, you know, and if I would have looked at you on from the outside, I've been I would have thought she has her shit together. You know, she just has everything in line. 
Uh, but that is rarely the case. And sometimes the people who look like they have it the most together are the ones who are struggling the most on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, using fitness, using, uh, you know, nutrition as a way to manipulate how my body looked was, it was for, I did it out of control Mm -hmm. or the need for control and not feeling good enough. So if I can just look a certain way, then I will gain acceptance. I will be loved. I will be safe. You know, no one will leave me all that. But, um, I know for you, you said that you had done so much work and then you had your son and, he was like a mirror for you mm-hmm. and you realized, Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I really had only scratched the surface of the work. I realized yeah. at that point, like I, I have, I feel like I've been doing kind of like you mentioned too, I've been doing some sort of work for a very long time, like probably coming up on a decade now. Wow. Um, all of it was like very specifically focused though on specific events or something very specific that had happened in sort of dealing with it right afterwards, not necessarily seeing that or the incidents as like the, a whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. So again, feeling like I had resolved those or worked through those. And then all of a sudden <laughs> there's like this giant mirror that's like, just kidding. Um, <laughs> there's actually yeah. way more here that you haven't seen. It kind of felt like, um, you know, Alice looking through the looking glass, like I really wasn't, hadn't looked that deep. And now I've like climbed into the mirror and I'm like, okay, wow, there's like this whole world back here that I, you know, I feel like now that I'm doing the work, I have been subconsciously aware of, but now I'm again, seeing it much more clearly and as a whole picture, which is helping Mm -hmm. me make sense of it all and how that relates to different things that I might do or not do whether that's showing up for myself or limiting beliefs around what I'm capable of doing. So it's like a really big story, obviously. So I'm going to try to pick out the pieces of it that make the most sense to share right now. But kind of like what you said in how I've used fitness for so long is, interestingly enough, food has never really been an issue for me. So I always... I struggle with that, being able to identify with clients who have that issue because it's never been a problem for me. I didn't, food was just something that we ate as fuel growing up. I used it to be able to participate in activities and outside of that, there was like no abuse to it. Mm -hmm. I just ate what I wanted and when I wanted and that was that. So the only brief instance of food issues was when I first started competing But that's really when I realized like, whoa, these issues are new. This must not be right. And then I changed it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I I was able to get myself out of that really quickly. But what has been the, I would say the biggest picture is always looking together. Kind of like what you said and seeing me from an, as an outsider is I've always had the story of myself of being responsible being put together, being easygoing, and not like being a problem for anybody else to deal with. So that's been my story since I was as young as I can remember. Um, because of, you know, chaos growing, chaos growing up that I was around. So I was like the peacekeeper and the one who nobody had to worry about. So mm-hmm. that story was reinforced to me over the years of, oh, she always had, always has it together. We never have to worry about her. She's always so responsible. Um, she never asks for anything. She never needs help. And I got such positive validation around that because then I feel loved and supported because I can take care of myself. And that's, 
as a kid, of course, that's viewed as such a great thing because you're the easy kid. Sure. So I continue to be the easy kid. Um, and where, what I then used and abused to manage all of the feelings of actually being, of needing help, of wanting to talk about my struggles, of not feeling as supported because I wasn't comfortable sharing what I was struggling with, is exercise. Mm -hmm. So I can trace back every major traumatic incident growing up to me participating in a very intense activity. Okay. So like I joined the competitive gymnastics team when my parents were going through a divorce because I spent more time at the gym than I did at home or with either parent fighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I never really, like I like gymnastics now, but when I was a kid, I don't actually remember having fun doing it. I just did it to not be home. And I was really good at it. So again, positive validation and confirmation that I'm good at this. I should keep doing it. Not because I actually liked it at the time. Again, I Interesting. Mm -hmm. I would have never even thought about that. Mm -hmm. And then high school, I joined the wrestling team, which I've shared on the podcast before, but not details around why I did it. Um, at the time, my reasons for myself was I wanted a really good challenge and I wanted the hardest workout I could get. Because I was, again, going through some family things that I did not want to be present for. And I did not know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Nor did so, I talk about it. <laughs> right. So you were keeping all of that. I don't know if you would call it rage. I mean, maybe you can articulate the best word or the best feeling for it. But perhaps you didn't feel safe in your environment. Mm -hmm. You were, I mean, that is, that's traumatic for any little kid to go through. And even if you had parents who were, quote unquote, present and there, you know, they hadn't abandoned you. Essentially, they were not present because you were constantly walking on eggshells and trying to keep the peace and worrying about Everybody that next. Else. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, when is the shoe going to drop kind of thing? So it's like you had all of that pent up emotion inside and your outlet, your your way to release it was through intense activity. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So then my, my story around being strong and capable and responsible got stronger. And my sense of not being a good communicator, not being able to express myself or my feelings was also reinforced in, in both a positive way. Because, you know, I was never like a troublemaker. I never had things to talk about or vent about. I just kept it all inside. And at that point, I didn't know how to do that, even if I wanted to. At that point, I, I, I do remember some specific times around those teen years um, where I there were so many emotions all mixed up and I had zero experience tapping into those or even allowing myself to experience them that mm -hmm. even if I wanted to articulate it, I don't think I would know where to start. It just became mm -hmm. overwhelming because it's, you know, anger, frustration, grief, all sorts of things all mixed together that I had no way of expressing or, or being, being able to even distinguish between the two. Yeah. Oh, and that's, that's so hard that, and it, like we said, it just carries, it's amazing how it carries with us, like into adulthood and affects our own relationships mm -hmm. down the line. Um, I mean, I have a similar experience in that, I was always really close to my mom. I mean, you could definitely call it a codependent relationship. Mm -hmm. 
I I wouldn't have known that at the time. I just I would always be like, I love my mom so much. She's my best friend. And now I'm like, ooh, like red flag. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's great to have a loving relationship with your mom, but she probably should not be your best friend and the person that you go to for all of your problems. Mm-hmm. And my mom was my safe space because my dad, again, even though he was present and he and I were very, very close when I was growing up, as I started to get older and mature in it kind of like it wasn't cool to hang around your parents anymore. And so I would distance myself from him. And I think that really hurt him. So that probably created some, I guess, tension and I don't, I don't want to call it animosity, but I would say tension between us because he probably felt rejected. And then because he felt rejected, he wasn't really showing up for me in the way that I wanted to be seen from my dad. So I didn't get a lot of validation, you know, like what we did kind of revolved around what he wanted to do, but he also had a very, very bad temper and not to the point where, I mean, he never like hit me or my mom or anything like that. I mean, he would like raise his voice and yell at me and yell at my mom, but I never felt like I was in danger but it was, I was always on high alert, like, oh, gosh, what am I going to say? Or what is mom going to say? Or what's going to happen that's going to piss dad off? And I just remember feeling so uncomfortable whenever he would blow up. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, having to really hide from him how I truly felt or say what I wanted to say and that I needed to say in order for me to feel good. Like if it was something that he had done that hurt my feelings or, mm-hmm. or even if it was something that I needed advice on, um, he just, he's was not a very approachable person and it was always like his way or the highway. And yeah, so it was just hard to have an actual conversation without feeling judged or I guess the word I'm looking for is shut down. You know, so he just wasn't approachable. And so I felt like even to this day at 35 years old, I, I don't love the relationship that I have with my dad. And it's really sad. And I'm like, he's 71 years old. Like he runs circles around me, you know, like energy wise. (laughs) Um, but it's not necessarily like he's no spring chicken anymore. Right. Uh, and something could happen at any time. And I feel like if something did happen to him, I would have a lot of sadness and regret about not having the conversation with him that I need to have. And going back to my mindset coach, like it was one of my homework assignments, have the conversation with your dad. And I still can't do it because I'm afraid of how he's going to react, you know? Um, and that's, that is translated to relationships. Um, mostly I would say with romantic partners and, not wanting to speak up, not wanting to say how I really feel in fear of being shut down or rejected. Yep. And then, and then also hating conflict, just hating conflict with anybody. So, which I think goes back to a lack of boundaries. So always trying to keep the peace, like, Oh yeah, I'll do that for you. No problem. And, and then feeling resentful because my energy is drained and I don't feel like I'm getting, I'm, I don't feel like I'm taking care of myself essentially. Yep. When you're doing all of this work that ultimately is counterproductive because mm-hmm. you're doing all of this work to keep the peace, which is very much part of my story as well. Like keep the peace, avoid conflict, don't disrupt 
other people's peace in an attempt to fix your own, which is actually one of my future self-journaling mantras, <laughs> is to, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a moment probably, um, yeah. is, you know, don't be afraid to voice those things, but in actively not doing that, you're, ex you're, you're extending so much energy to not do those things. You don't realize. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it is, it's a very heavy energetic burden that you are carrying around with you, you know, which can manifest, I think in many ways. And, you know, this is something that we haven't talked about yet, but I developed a bunch of health conditions starting in college. So, and my body image issues started, gosh, when I was probably 12 years old. And so I spent so many years, you know, in middle school, high school, and then in college trying to change the way my body looked so that I would feel loved and accepted and get attention from other people. I would say, you know, mostly from men, because that's the other thing. I always felt like I lived in other people's shadows. And that is a story that I continue to carry around with me today. And it's really ironic that I tend to attract romantic partners that keep me in that shadow because of who they are as people. So you know, my first husband was like the life of the party. He was kind of a, I mean, I'll, for lack of a better term, class clown, like he had a really big personality. So everyone was drawn to him. He was funny. He was engaging. He was a police officer. So he got a lot of attention. Um, and it was just kind of like, Oh, there's Marcy, you know, and no one would really ever ask how I was doing. So I never felt good enough. So I would, you know, control the eating and the exercise even harder because if I looked a certain way, then people would compliment me on that. They would compliment me on my discipline and all whatnot. Uh, and then, you know, he and I split up and I soon after met my current boyfriend who I'd been with for four and a half years. And, you know, what attracted me to him was that he was a competitive power lifter. And I was dating people who before we met, who were very feminine and that was just not the type of guy that I was attracted to. Mm -hmm. So when I met him, I was like, it almost felt like I was home and like I was yeah. safe. And like, oh, this is, you know, my person, which probably, I mean, that could have been a red flag actually. <laughs> but, yeah, looking back, you know, I, I really think it could have been, and our relationship is much better now, but I, you know, he squatted a thousand pounds. He's this like walking just specimen, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So he's lean, he's muscular, he's strong, he's good looking, he's charming. He's very successful in his career. So again, whenever we're together, people will come up to him and like want to feel his bicep and like make comments on his appearance. No, oh, you must be so strong. Mm -hmm. And then I am in the shadows again, you know? Mm -hmm. So that has been something that I that I'm continuing to struggle with and really trying to find my own sense of self-worth that has nothing to do with how I look how hard I work how successful my business is and it is a constant journey <laughs> it's a tough one the I'm not good enough but I'm doing all of these all of these amazing things like I I mean you are I am I know that I am but it's never something that I talk about or feel comfortable sharing which my husband makes fun of me all the time like we were on vacation last week and you know we're by the pool and 
you know, I still look pretty good after the competition. Like I could probably get on stage tomorrow if I wanted to. And it's not, I'm like, I'm uncomfortable putting on a bathing suit for that reason, which is weird because everybody Mm. wants to look that way to be able to put on a bathing suit. And then people at the pool make comments about my body and how great it looks. And I literally find any reason to change the conversation, (laughs) to take the shift away from how I look. And and my husband's like, oh, yeah, somebody asked if I competed. And I was like, yeah, 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 I used to. And he was like, you just did one like four months ago and got second place. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> change the subject. Um, I, I've never been comfortable talking about my um, accomplishments and anything that I've done that stands out. So... That is really ironic you say that because here I said I hate living in people's shadows and that's kind of my core wound. And whenever somebody does bring up an accomplishment of mine or ask how I'm doing, I shut it down. It's like I want it, yet at the same time I'm uncomfortable talking about it. And I don't know why that is. I'm not sure either. That's on my list of things to talk about because I didn't realize how, how often I do that until last week when we were on vacation. Interesting. Like, Why do you keep doing that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've always kind of been like a humble person and I don't love it when other people like brag about themselves. Like I, I think kind that's, of find it yeah. a turn off. So I think because I'm humble and I like to just and maybe it's because I've lived behind the scenes for so long. I'm not really sure. But and even though it's not me talking about it, uh, you know, I'm not the one solicitating it, so to speak. So it's people saying to me, oh, you look great. You're such a hard worker, yada, yada, which is a little bit different. But I guess it's a hard taking the compliment, you know, even if it's not me directly bringing up the conversation about myself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So on that note, I feel like. We've already mentioned her, the holistic psychologist, but she talks about a lot of different ways to do work on yourself, and it can be applied to a lot of different areas that someone wants to focus on, but one of them being the future self-journaling, which I already mentioned earlier. And for me, what we've just talked about are actually two of the things that I am currently future self-journaling about, and it is the not being afraid to speak my mind, share my thoughts and feelings and needs, more importantly, because sharing my needs with others is a very big struggle for me and for many, many reasons that we can jump into or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But having that be a mantra for me the past, I'm on like day 25, I think, has been extremely helpful in A, recognizing when I don't want to do that when those thoughts start to show up and me being able to repeat those mantras in my head in those moments of like, I do actually want to say something, but I don't, or I do want to share a thought, but I don't. And just to do it. Mm -hmm. So I love what you said about that. And I think the reason why future self journaling is so effective is really twofold. And one, it's because it creates the awareness. And what she talks about is how we live in our subconscious mind. And so we don't even realize what we're doing because it's so habitual. 
And the only way you can really change is to have awareness around what needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first step. And then the second step is that actual, you know, more scientific rewiring of the brain. So writing that over and over again. Uh, and I guess it's writing, like actually writing it out. Mm-hmm. There's something about the like whole, you know, hand to paper type of thing that does something in your brain that makes it more effective. So I remember I was trying to journal on the computer, you know, just like typing up a Word document mm-hmm. and that's not as effective, which I thought was super interesting. But anyway, so like writing it out over and over again, writing out the mantras and really visualizing and getting in touch with those emotions. So how it would feel to show up in that way is what really brings it all together. So that's what I found to be, you know, most effective with it is the, re- the repetition definitely helps. And I feel like that is rewiring my brain. And I'm starting to actually believe the things that I didn't believe about myself. Mm-hmm. But in the moment when I start to revert back to my old behavior or my old mindset, I can catch myself a lot faster and give myself some space to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, who is it that I really want to be in this moment? And then take action from there. Yes, agreed. Well, and I think the part that you mentioned around describing how your future self would feel by doing those things, just like you said, has been the most effective. Because writing down the feelings that I want to feel in doing the thing that's scary and all of the positives that come from it, again, has just reinforced like, yes, that it's, it seems scary to do it, but the end result is going to be far more rewarding. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, actually, it's not that hard. It's uncomfortable, but the result and the feelings that come from that afterwards are exactly what I want to feel. And then it seems less scary when you actually experience them. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll share with you really quick what my prompts have been. So I am on my second round. My first round was, I don't remember specifically what I said, and I don't have the journal in front of me, but it was basically, you know, I want to try to show up more without the fear of judgment. And I'm going to be honest with you, <laughs> it it took a really long time. Like it didn't just click overnight. And and it was hard. And so I actually took a step back from that one. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not ready for this one at this moment. And I still have some some work to do around it. So I switched after probably 30 days. And my next one was because one of my issues is reacting rather than responding whenever I get triggered. So it has showed up in my relationship with my boyfriend pretty much from gosh, maybe like the first month or two that we started to date and it caused so much tension and conflict, so many arguments. And I, I will admit this, like we're in therapy right now. Uh, so yesterday was our second session. And it's the one thing that he continues to bring up is how I can be moody and how, uh, he has a hard time telling me what's on his mind. So kind of like what you were saying about yourself. Mm-hmm. 
he has a difficult time expressing how he feels because he is afraid of my reaction. So I don't want to show up like that and I don't want him to feel that way. So for the next 30 or the past 30 days, mine was, you know, I, today I will break the pattern of getting triggered and responding, not reacting or responding, not reacting when I feel triggered. Mm. And that, that one really, really stuck. So I was like, okay, I've got this like time to move on to, or really like revert to the, the first one that I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been doing that one for a couple of days and I actually like had this major shift probably on Monday where I did show up and, you know, like allow myself to be seen and talk to the camera and all of that. And it was like, Oh, it wasn't so bad. Like I didn't get, you know, great feedback from it. People were like, Oh my gosh, like there's your beautiful face. Like, you <laughs> but they also didn't say like you ugly troll, like, you know, turn the camera back around the other way. So, totally. so it's kind of one of those things where you, know, you always have to go to what is the worst case scenario. And, and if that happens, can I handle it? And it's like, yes, I would be able to handle it because really at the end of the day, what other people think about us should not matter. And anyone who has the time to sit behind a phone, judge someone who is actually showing up right. and then, you know, making a comment like that, that is someone who is very insecure and unhappy with their own self. And it's a reflection you, of themselves and how they think of themselves and feel about themselves, not a reflection of you. Absolutely. And, and I will say this, like I, in the past have been a judgmental person and not, I would never say something negative to somebody online because I know how that feels. Right. And I don't think that's fair, but the internal critic, that inner critic of other people, like, Oh, like, why is she doing that? Or, Oh, she's so annoying or whatever. And it was totally a reflection of how I felt about myself. And I heard a really, really great quote that judgment is not a window. It's a mirror. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, like my mind was blown. And it is so true. Yep. Cause you're not looking at that person through, you know, a, yeah, a window, like your own lens, they are reflecting back to you what it is that you don't like about yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, just because you said that there's another quote, I feel like we're going to be just quoting all sorts of things. Um, <laughs> there's another quote, and I'm probably going to going to botch it a little bit, but it's it went something like the thing that annoys you the most about your partner is actually one of your greatest needs. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. So when you say needs, like give me an example of if you, you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. On the topic of vulnerability, like because so. this can apply to me too but with with your husband remind me your husband's name dimitri dimitri is right um what is it that annoys you about him that you think is your greatest need he is very open about what he needs and what he wants and sometimes that for me can sound like whining and complaining and 
those are two things that I am not comfortable doing and wish that I could do more of. And that's expressing my needs, not necessarily in a whiny way, but I have such a hard time expressing when I need something because I feel like I'm going to be a burden then in doing that. And I have the other issue of I can do all the things myself and don't need anybody else's help. Um, So it kind of shows up in two ways. And there are times where that is one of his, so one of his love languages is, is, well, how he receives loves is acts of service. So if I do things for him and take care of him, like he feels very loved. And so if I don't show up in doing all of those things for him, he will very openly share that with me. Mm-hmm. And I take that as like, I already have enough stuff to do. You can do it yourself. And what he really needs is wants me to do those because he needs to feel loved in the moment. So again, just that statement was like, oh, I started seeing all of these things. And every time I would get annoyed with him around his expression of that, I realized it's because I actually want to express those same, same things. And I don't. Interesting. So this is great. I'm really glad you brought it up. One of the things that has come up for my boyfriend and I, not only in therapy, he's been saying this to me for years, is that he feels like I don't support him. And that this is so hard to even say out loud, but here we go. That I want him to fail at whatever it is that he is trying to do. So he is a competitive power lifter, you know, incredibly successful in that regard, like squatted a thousand pounds. And I always felt not good enough because of that, like here I am, I'm the fitness professional. I've been doing this for 20 years and I have a hard time, you know, reaching goals. Not like I would want to squat a thousand pounds, but you know, you have your goals, my own goals that I have for myself. And so I had a hard time supporting him whenever he did well, because I felt like his success made me less than, and now he's starting to, pursue online business, which is something that I've been doing for a couple of years. And it has been a much slower process than I would have anticipated or hoped. And I have a lot of roadblocks around it in like internal roadblock. So technology, uh, ditto, (laughs) right? Like I had always been getting on this freaking Skype call. (laughs) I'm terrible. I'm terrible at technology. And I don't even want to take the time to learn it. I don't like getting on video. We talked about that. And, and he is much more tech savvy than I am. Like his brain is just wired that way, I think. Uh, and it's not a strength of mine and that's fine. Like I can own that. But every time that he wants to talk about business and like everything that he's been working on and doing and accomplishing, I'm like, Oh, like, do we have to talk about this again? And it's because I feel bad about myself because I don't have the, I don't know if it's like the tenacity or what you would call it to sit down and figure it out like he has. So yes, that is so true. It's so multi-layered. So multi-layered. I know. And again, going back to the judgment thing, I mean, you can say the same thing about your relationships. I think that your relationships are also a mirror for you and what you need to work on yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. The the next thing I want to touch on is reparenting. And yes. 
again, something that the holistic psychologist talks about, and we will absolutely be putting links to all of her stuff so you can find it because it is of great value. And honestly, I found it to be super easy, actually, to integrate some of these, some of the work. It's not like the work itself isn't easy, obviously, but the steps to start doing the work are pretty accessible, I feel like. So, um, and, and the reparenting for me is something that is, I mean, this is going to take a really long time to actually do, but I feel like as a parent now, it's been very insightful to view what my needs were as a child and what I didn't get from my parents and how, and then I look at my son and see what his needs are and trying to provide that for him and realizing I have to do that for myself now. So there are moments where my inner child who didn't get what she needed when she was a kid keeps showing up and I'm the only one that can reparent her. So it's been interesting to see like those, I don't want to, for me, it's, I don't want to do it. I do the arms across the chest, like stubborn. No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Like if I get frustrated with social media stuff, I don't want to do it. The the app's not working. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't know how to, you know, I'll come up with every child excuse possible, stomp my foot on the ground and say, I don't want to. In those situations, I have to think of what I would want to hear from my parent in those situations. Mm -hmm. And that could look a variety of ways. Um, And one of the things I've realized the most is that as a kid, I didn't feel like I had a lot of childlike time and space Um, without getting into it too much. There was a lot of things going on with my mom when I was younger that required me to grow up really fast. Okay. To take a lot of responsibility really quickly. I did a lot of things under the age of 10 that most 10 year olds would never even think to do as Mm -hmm. in terms of being a part of the family. Um, So there are many times growing up where that inner child came out. Like, I just want to have fun. I just want to relax. I just want to be lazy and enjoy myself and be a kid. And I wasn't allowed that space when I was young. So she keeps showing up now, especially when I get frustrated or overwhelmed or tired. Or it involves tasks that I'm not good at or not comfortable doing. And so me trying to have some tools in place of like, okay, what does she need right now that I can actually give her? And sometimes that's a break. Like, okay, let's just chill out for a second. Take your moment. Or if you just want to sit on the couch and pout for 10 minutes and sit with the frustration, do it. Like go sit on the couch, take a time out. Take a few deep breaths, think about what you actually need to get past this and do it. Mm-hmm. And that's actually been really effective of like, okay, I sit on the couch with my arms crossed, mad, <laughs> like a kid. Yeah. Take the few deep breaths. What do you need? And then I ask myself the same questions that I ask my son. Like, what do you need right now? What are, what are you feeling right now that I can help you with? And once you feel, realize what those feelings are, let's brainstorm some ideas of how we can either just allow yourself to express those feelings and then move on or think of some tools we can put in place to help you through that. Oh, I love that. That is so powerful, so beautiful. And I think I said this to you a couple of days ago, but Dominic is very lucky to have a mom who is doing this work. It is going to serve I think both the relationship that you have with each other, but also the relationship that he has with himself very, very well. So I commend you for that, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
Well, you know, like when it comes to reparenting, that is the first time I had ever heard it put that way is when Nicole started to talk about it. And it did make a lot of sense. You know, I've always thought that I am, I'm a very disciplined person. And the other thing that she says, which I just absolutely love and really resonates with me and that I now use with my clients on a consistent basis is keeping the promises that you make to yourself Mm -hmm. because I think that everyone wants to feel confident and love themselves. And there's a lot of this like self-love talk. Oh, you know, you should own your worth and you are worthy. You're deserving. Uh, you know, all those like, eh, kind of like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's great. Yes. Like we should love ourselves and accept ourselves just for, you know, being born. I think because we're born, you know, we're worthy, but at the end of the day, you still have to show up for yourself. And I think that is what cultivates true self-love and confidence. Because if there is something that you want to do and you continue to put it off and make excuses and use the the justification of, well, I'm worthy or I love myself, I accept myself, eventually I think that it loses its power. It loses its power and you are no longer in your integrity. Yep. And in the like in the back of your mind, you know it's bullshit. So <laughs> I could say to myself all day long, well, I'm I'm serving my clients powerfully and I'm putting out these infographics and I've you know created a a large following on Instagram. Look at all the things I'm doing, yet I still wasn't doing the thing that I really wanted to do and know I needed to do. And when I, when my head hit the pillow every night, I still did not feel good about myself. And over time that started to chip away at my confidence. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And, uh, you know, I would look at the reparenting thing and say to myself, Oh, well, I do all of these things. You know, I, I keep certain promises. I do my meditating. I do my journaling. I go to bed. I eat really, you know, at a, a good time. I eat really well. I nourish my body. Like you could go down the list and I would check off the boxes. But yeah, like you said, when it came to that one thing that you were procrastinating on, it's like, nope, I'm just not going to do this and just let it be. And then in time I started to not feel good about myself. Um, But I think for me, when it comes to the reparenting, like that is something I need to think about uh, and spend some time with, but also you know, my mom and I had a very close, definitely, I would say, codependent relationship growing up and even up until lately. And I am trying to set more boundaries so that it is no longer this like, you know, meshed relationship, but it is more like parent child. And and she can still be my friend, but just not the person that I go to for everything. Mm-hmm. And she would meet a lot of my needs because I would go to her when I felt stressed out or overwhelmed or not good enough. And she would say all the things that I needed to hear, but it's like, Oh yeah, that's my mom. Right. The one person I never hear those things from is my dad. So growing up, and I think that's where my sense of rejection comes from and why I have so many women in my life who really support me and validate me and, uh, and make like lift me up yet. I still, seek that attention and that validation from men Mm -hmm. because I didn't get it from my dad. And that's the other thing that I've heard when it comes to relationships is 
we will often attract the type of person who resembles the parent whose love we wanted to receive the most. Yep. So in my own relationships, like my boyfriend is very loving and doting and, oh, you know, since I love you 10 times a day, but I still kind of felt like I lived in his shadow and I felt like I lived in my dad's shadow. Like my dad got a lot of attention for his accomplishments when I was growing up and I never felt like I lived up to his expectation of me. And very rarely did I ever hear him say, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Um, So I need to reparent myself in the sense of, yeah, giving myself that validation. Which is work. Oh, it's work. It's a lot of work. It's work. Mm -hmm. Can you share the quote that you posted today? I sure can. Let me. I feel like it's relevant. (laughs) Pull it up real quick. Where did it go? I know. We're just quotes on quotes. We might just have to like put all the quotes in the show notes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> People can see them themselves. I know, right. Um, most of the shadows of this life are caused by standing in one's own sunshine. Mm-hmm. Damn. I know. Yeah. I had to read it like 10 times. Like, whoa. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I know. It's yeah, I have that check. Book. Oh, such a gut check. And it it goes back to everything that we've already been talking about and, you know, living in fear of showing up because we don't want to be judged when really showing up is the the very thing that will set you free. And I think that's kind of I got off track a little bit. But, you know, this week I've been really forced to step out of my comfort zone and let myself be seen. And even though, like, maybe I'm not receiving all of this positive or um yeah, validation. At least I'm doing what I know I need to to do to feel good about myself. Regardless, it's like doing the thing, but detaching from the outcome and not having expectations as to how it needs to look. Agreed. Well, especially in relation to what other people think of you. So um, I don't think we talked about this earlier. I feel like it's, it's in my mind for some reason, but the seeking validation outside of yourself and how, if that's mm-hmm. constantly what you're looking for, you'll never be happy and never be satisfied with the result. Cause it's, it's, it's not what you need. You need the positive validation from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, just a few minutes ago, I've had plenty of validation in my life, but mm-hmm. it, it falls on deaf ears or it feels good in the moment. But, you know, two minutes later, I'm back in my head beating myself up because I don't think that I've lived up to my potential or, you know, there are things that I'm not doing that I know I should be doing. And that doesn't feel good. Yep. And I feel like that's, I mean, it probably rings true for you too, but in working with clients and hearing so many of the struggles and obstacles and barriers that so many people come up against when they're working towards their goals, it all goes back to that Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Well, I think of, I'm like, I just got an email from a client the other day saying how it was, it was um, wonderful in so many ways because she had a few aha moments herself where she did something that she, she basically showed up for herself she listened to her intuition. She followed her gut. She made the best decision that she could. And she would email me to, sh- to tell me how proud she was of herself for making that decision. Mm-hmm. 
And she, she said in the email, my first reaction was to tell you so that I could hear it from you that I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. So she yeah. was looking, seeking for that outside validation. But then she ended the email by saying, I gave it to myself because oh. I knew I did a good job. I knew I made the right decision and I didn't actually need you to tell me that I knew it for myself. Oh. And I, I was like, it. yeah, I was like reading it and like jumping up and down. I'm like, yes, <laughs> this that, is what I want for everybody. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's so funny. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want, and I feel like you shared something along these lines. Like, I don't want you to, ultimately, I don't. I want a client to be able to make all of these calls on their own. I don't want them to question, should I do this? I want them to go with their intuition. Like, oh, I ate, your client was too overate over the weekend and then was like, do I need to eat all of my food today? No, if you're not hungry, you eat the food that enough food to where you feel satisfied. And that's you practicing that and following your intuition around that is going to provide you the best tools to mm-hmm. make those calls moving forward. But you don't need me to tell you that that's okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, here's the thing. I think it's unrealistic to have someone holding your hand forever. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I feel like I will always be someone who has a coach in some capacity, <laughs> but I think a great coach is someone who doesn't tell you what to do, like you just alluded to, but gives you the tools to make informed decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. And to kind of like, you know, show you the light, so to speak. Yes. And then, yeah. And then like, you can kind of find the path yourself. Yes. Well, and you mentioned that a little bit earlier on when you were talking about um, when you were doing therapy and how there were certain times where you felt like you were spending too much time on a past trauma. Like, I don't, I don't, okay, we've revisited it. Now I just want tools to move past it and through it. I don't want to sit with it any longer. And that's. I mean, I feel like as a coach, you should be able to provide those tools. Um, you, you're still the hand that they can hold if they need it, but you're also like the parent, you know, who's holding onto the back of the bicycle saying like, I'm going to help you, but I'm going to let go at some point and let you do it by yourself. <laughs> but I'm always here if, in case you fall. And if you fall, yeah. that's fine. And we're going to get it back up together and I will help you until you get your wheels going. And then I'm going to let go again. And that's a great analogy. And it's something that Nicole, holistic psychologist, talks about so often in her own experience with being a psychologist and doing that talk therapy. And she just said, you know, I couldn't continue to have these conversations with people and not give them the tools that they needed to be successful. And her hashtag is self healers. So I love, I love it too. And it's, it's, it's so true because yes, she does talk about looking at your past and you know, where these thoughts and behaviors come from. And a lot of the time they are instilled in us by somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's important to, like I said earlier, have that awareness, but then you need the tools to work through it. And that is what she provides. And even when I was in therapy yesterday, I I have some PTSD around going to see psychologists and I really, I, I didn't really want to do this, but my boyfriend thought it was a good idea not because things are really bad in our relationship and we definitely have some now that we're actually talking to someone, Oh, our communication is not as great as we thought it was. Um, So we do a lot of things to work on, but the past two sessions, obviously he needs to get to know us. He needs to know what has gone on in the past and why we are where we are. 
And we've spent the past two sessions really diving deep into that. But he said at the end yesterday, okay, I think I have all the information that I need. So moving on, I am going to give you guys the tools to communicate more effectively. And both of us side this like sigh of relief because like, okay, thank God. Like we don't just have to sit here and talk about it and get frustrated and, you know, kind of like go back and forth. Well, you do this. Well, you do that. And like, give us something to actually make practice. this better. Yeah. And practice it just like everything's practice. Yeah. Oh, no and <laughs> there definitely is not. And, and just like with, you know, fitness progress, it's never linear. So you will have stumbling blocks. You will have setbacks and just know that's okay. And really be compassionate about yourself when that comes up because it will. And it doesn't mean that, you're not doing the work or the work you are doing isn't working. It's just, I think, part of the human condition mm-hmm. in a sense. Yep. I am. I use a roller coaster ride as an analogy quite often with clients in that there are super fun parts of the roller coaster ride there that everybody looks forward to. There are super scary sort of anticipation building. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to feel moments like when you're climbing up to the top before you make the big drop. And then there's the moments that are like, aren't that fun, but you have to be on those parts that are kind of like the flat parts, you know, where you're like not going as fast and you're just kind of waiting for the next climb or waiting for the next big drop to happen. But those are essential parts of the roller coaster. You can't be on a roller coaster that just goes up and down. Oh, I love that. I've never, been, I've never <laughs> like, heard that. And, and, but learning to enjoy every part of it and learning something about how you're feeling during each part is going to give you more information about why you feel that way during this part. What what can I change to either better enjoy it or better get through it or, you know, again, just more yeah. tools. So um, well, I find that resonates with a lot of people. I love that. And now I can kind of like um, connect the dots when it comes to things that I am trying to push past. So I remember as a kid going to theme parks and getting on like the big roller coasters. Yeah very often and it like slowly goes up and there's that anticipation like it's like click 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 yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> and then it like kind of hangs at the top for a minute and you're like and I don't know what's gonna happen oh my gosh what's gonna happen and like that is that anticipation and that fear really mm-hmm. yep. um that we all feel when we are about to do something that pushes us out of our comfort zone and then once you go down that big drop or you go you know, um, around the upside down loop, yeah. which is the most scariest parts. They're really the most exhilarating. Mm-hmm. And when you push past your comfort zone and you do the thing, it's just like, it's the biggest like sigh of relief. It's a huge weight off your shoulders. And it's, yeah, like I said earlier, it's exhilarating. Really. You're like, I made it. I survived. And now yep. let's do it again. Yep. Yep. <laughs> let's do it again. Right. Right. <laughs> let's do it again. That's awesome. Well, I know we've shared a lot of uh, personal things. I really thank you so much for being as open as you have been. I know it's not easy and I'm really glad that you did it with me. (laughs) So it didn't seem as scary for me either. (laughs) So thank you. Um, We will definitely be providing lots of links um, and information. If anybody wants to check out the information that we've shared, do some, start to do some of the work and implement it. Um, Please, uh, Marcy, you're up to some fun new things. So I would love for you to share what you have going on. Thank you. 
Yes, I guess the funnest, the most fun new thing that I am up to is myself and three of my friends who are also online fitness coaches released a podcast this past Tuesday. We were very excited about that. So it's called Decades of Strength. There's four of us. And the premise is, you know, one girl's in her 20s. I'm in my 30s. We have a woman in her early 40s, a woman about to be 50. So it's basically the perspectives of all of the different generations. And yeah, I think it's going to be really great. And just kind of our mission with it is to empower women. And unfortunately, we lost Marcy right at the end of her explanation about her new podcast, Decades of Strength. But we will be sure to provide a link to the very first episode so y'all can tune in, as well as a link to her IG page, which is chocked full of great information and her website. So thank you again for everybody tuning into this episode of Her Body, and we will be sure to catch you guys next time. Have a great day. You've been listening to Her Body on Body IOFM with your host, Alex Navarro. And if you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance.